my privilege tonight to introduce Chris Hill. He's come with his wife, Joanna, and their two youngins who've gone off to class. Rachel and Luke, I guess they're gone to class. Yeah. Apparently, you all know the Caps, uh, Roy and Nadine, just a little bit. So good to have you guys tonight. Chris has been at Luther about the same time I've been here. So we've known each other probably about most of that time. I don't even know if, if you realized that you came the same time I did or... Okay, well, good deal. Well, they've been doing a great work. One of the things about Chris, uh, everything I know about him is good. And I've never even heard anybody say anything about him that wasn't good. It brings to mind that passage of scripture, uh, when the man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So Chris, I don't know if you've got any enemies, but if you do, they're not saying anything bad. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Both he and his wife, Joanna, are graduates of Oklahoma Christian. Uh, Chris got his bachelor's in ministry and in Bible, and Joanna is a registered nurse. Is that right? Yeah, worked at the Midwest City Regional for about 10 years. So they've been around. They've invested themselves in the community. And you may know about the Luther Service Center. Chris is on the board, works up there. They uh, give food and clothing and all kinds of necessary items to people who are in need in the Luther community, and that's been going on for a long time. Usually in the fall, we'll hear from Ruby Stahl. Ruby wants cake mixes and icing. If you remember the cake mixes and icing in the fall for the Thanksgiving dinners, that's, that's the Luther Service Center that's doing that work. And we're so glad you guys are up there. I got a note here that says that you just recently went to the Philippines to train ministers in spiritual matters, but also so that you can train those guys to work on cars so they can make a little extra money on the side to uh, pay for their vocation. Pretty neat. And I heard a guy say a long time ago his vocation was Christianity, but he worked during the day to pay the expenses of it. And I think that's a, that's a good way to put it and probably applies to this case here. Chris has come tonight. He's going to speak to us on the topic of how to hang in there when you feel like walking out. I probably would have changed that when you feel like running and screaming, pulling your hair. Uh, but at least that's his title, how to hang in there when you feel like walking it. Now, think about it, though. Why would a guy come up with a title for a lesson like that? There's probably been a time when you felt like walking out, but you didn't. You didn't. So that's what he's talking to us about tonight. Chris, Joanna, we're glad to have you guys. Come on up here, bro. It's an honor to be here tonight and to hopefully bring a topic that's relevant to you about the times that you just don't know what to do. There's so many decisions to make, and life just happens to you, and you just don't know what to do, but the instinct is just to walk out. It's just to leave. Back in April of 1995, I only had two more weeks of school before I'd head off for a summer internship in Plattsburgh, New York. But one morning as we went in there in the chapel of Oklahoma Christian University, people were whispering different words. Something big had happened, something bad had happened. We could hear the words gas, bomb, dead, search. These words just floated around the auditorium as people softly spoke them. There was a bomb blast at the Murrah building. Everyone wondered who, what, how, and most importantly, why did something like this happen? And as the rescue team searched for survivors, students across the campus searched for answers from the media and from God. After my final test on the last day of school for the trimester, I got into my loaded-down two-door Dodge Aries and headed east towards Plattsburgh, New York. 
My destination was over 2,000 miles away. It was three days' worth of driving, long days. And by the second day of driving, my thoughts were focusing on the things of the future, being able to meet new people, be reunited with a few old friends. And by the third day, I just counted down those miles one by one. When am I going to get there? Well, as I approached Plattsburgh, the car's fuel gauge approached E, and I stopped for fuel within a couple of miles of Plattsburgh. I wanted to be ready, didn't want to run out of gas, wanted to make a good impression. As I drove back on the highway, I, I noticed a police officer giving a young lady a ticket, and a few moments later, I noticed that same police officer in my rearview mirror with his lights flashing, signaling me to pull over. Well, I thought, what did I do? I wasn't sure, I wasn't speeding, but I pulled over and the officer approached the car and said, I'd like your driver's license, I'd like to see your insurance. I willingly complied. He never took his eyes off me. He, he slowly walked back to his cruiser with his hand near his gun. As he walked back, I, w- I was a little nervous there, but I, I just told myself, you just have to calm down, just relax, everything's going to be all right. Well, a few minutes later, everything was all right. The officer approached the car, and he handed back my paperwork and said, Have a nice day. You're free to go. All my worry was for nothing. So I got in the car and headed towards Plattsburgh, when moments later I look in the rearview mirror and I see more flashes of light, more intense than the first time, and I look closer and I see three sets of lights flashing and a police cruiser mounted under each one of those. Well, I pulled over, and I thought there must be some mistake. A different police officer approached the car this time, and I tried to explain. I was just stopped. I said, if you look over there, you could probably still see him sitting by the side of the road. He said, that's okay. I still need your driver's license and insurance. It was still there on the seat. I said, here here you go. Well, he huddled up with a couple of other officers behind the car, and then he came after a few minutes and said, "Uh, there's someone that would like to talk to you at the police station. And they gave me a police escort in case I had other plans. <laughs> so I went there and I, I went into the police station and sat down at a table with an officer in there. And he was very polite, very nice, tried to make me feel welcome and at home. And we talked about the weather and sports, school, whatever else came to mind. I didn't want to mention why I thought I was there because I thought if I mentioned it, then I'd, they'd know I was guilty of it. But after a while, I decided to ask if he heard about the bomb blast in Oklahoma City and if here, 2,000 miles away, if, if I was a suspect. Now, I thought I'd, you know, I, that was kind of taboo. You shouldn't mention that, but I mentioned that. And he smiled and leaned back and said, yes, and that's why you're here. And I just said, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. And he said, sure, sure. <laughs> he said, well, there's a couple of FBI agents on their way to talk to me about this. I thought, oh, boy. You know, this is just what I need. I, I, I thought, you know, the media was outside the station waiting for me to come out to accuse me of, of being John Doe number two, of the guy who killed all these people in Oklahoma City. I thought my name was ruined in the name of John Doe number two. Well, I changed from being a prospective preaching intern into a prospective mass murderer all in one day. The FBI agents arrived a short time later, and one agent was very muscular, and he sat down right next to me, and the other was a sharp-looking businessman. He just paced back and forth behind me. The larger gentleman, as he sat down, he said, lift up your shirt sleeve, I mean, whatever you like, you know, and he said, okay, that's good. He said he was looking for a tattoo, but fortunately I didn't have any. He asked if I had any bomb-making materials in the car. I said, no, but you're welcome to look. I figured they'd been through it three or four times already. 
After a few minutes, though, the mood in the room changed. It was a, a little more relaxed. The agents t- told me they knew what kind of car they were looking for. My car didn't match the description exactly, but it was close enough to warrant further investigation. The police knew the tag number of the car they were looking for. Mine didn't match, but it was close enough to warrant further investigation. The police had a description of the suspect. Well, I didn't match, but my appearance was enough to warrant further investigation. I thought I was going to jail on close enough. You know, I had to call the minister of the church, Mitchell Greer, from the police station. That was the first day of my internship. You know, as I arrived at the church building, I felt like walking out before I had even got there. My reputation might be ruined. People might think the worst of me. I felt like going right back home. I felt like just walking out. When was the last time you felt like walking out of something? You know, just giving up and leaving. Perhaps it was your job. Maybe it was your marriage. You're thinking, if one more thing happens, I'm walking out of this marriage. Maybe it was something to do with the church. It may be teaching your Sunday school class. You faithfully prepare each week that special Bible lesson and encourage your students to be there each and every week and to be inviting new people to come and yet your class isn't growing and the students that you do have don't attend as regularly as they should. And as a spiritual leader, maybe you've gotten a bit discouraged. You're thinking maybe it's time for me to step down. Maybe it's time for me to leave. Or maybe for you, it's some other ministry within our fellowship, and you're feeling tired, and you're feeling burned out. How do you beat burnout? How do you defeat discouragement? How do you overcome frustration? How do you hang in there when you feel like walking out? I believe the Apostle Paul knows exactly how we feel. He dealt with fatigue. He dealt with discouragement. He'd been run out of Thessalonica, and he went to Berea. And once there, he was seeing people search the scriptures and come to accept Jesus as the Christ. And when the people of Thessalonica heard about it, they sent a group to Berea to silence him. Then he headed towards Corinth where he preached and faced more opposition. He felt fatigue. He felt failure. Almost everywhere he went, he got run out of town. He may have considered himself a failure by not being able to convince more people of the truth. You know, when you consider yourself a failure, that can cause you to want to walk out. When things aren't going your way, you might want to just walk out of your marriage, walk out of your job, walk out of a friendship, walk out of Sunday school class, walk out of the fellowship, walk out on your faith in Jesus Christ. You just want to walk out. You want to leave. Fatigue will cause it. Failure will cause it. Frustration will cause it. And Paul was experiencing all three here, but he was not going to quit. He was not going to give up on doing the things that pleased Christ. Have you ever been there? Because I certainly have. And if you live long enough, you're going to be there too. And that's what I want to talk about today from the 18th chapter of Acts. How to hang in there when you feel like walking out. Acts chapter 18. I'll begin in verse 1. Here Luke writes, After these things, those things are preaching on Mars Hill regarding knowing the unknown God. Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, which is some 50 miles away. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. 
So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation. They were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. The Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now talk about being fatigued and frustrated and feeling like a failure. Paul had just left Athens, a city filled with dead gods, with false gods. And now he arrives in Corinth, a city filled with sensual lust. In fact, the word Corinth in the classical Greek language is a word that meant to practice fornication. If you were looking for a place to fornicate, Corinth was the place to go. It was the Las Vegas of their day. And right in the middle of the city was this temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of sex. And some evenings, a thousand priestesses would come out of the temple and make their way into the streets doing a a little outreach for their temple. The worshipers of Aphrodite literally worshipped her through acts of immorality. Paul had probably never seen anything more perverted in all his life. Paul looked at all of the paganism, all of the perversion, all the promiscuity, all the obstacles to the gospel. He probably felt like some of us do today, thinking, what's the use? What's the point? Why even try? Why keep trying? Perhaps you're there today. How do you hang in there when you feel like walking out, when you feel like it's no use? Well, from the first 11 verses of this 18th chapter of Acts, there are some biblical principles for us to follow that will help us to hang in there when we feel like walking out on our family, walking out on our ministry, walking out on our fellowship, walking out on our faith in Jesus as the Christ. The first principle to follow that will help us to hang in there when we feel like walking out is to seek out godly friends. Seek out godly friends. What was the first thing Paul did when he arrived in Corinth? He sought out godly friends. In Acts 18 and verses 2 and 3, Luke writes, And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. When Luke tells us that he found a certain Jew named Aquila with his wife Priscilla, it means to find something you've been searching for. I believe the minute he arrived in Corinth, he began looking for somebody who was like him, someone he could talk to, somebody that he could team up with, somebody that he could identify with. Not just someone with the same skill set, but someone with the same goals, someone with the same hopes, someone of the same faith. 
And don't miss this, God gave him exactly what he needed to keep him going. And I'll mention something else here. God will give us what we need to keep us going too. Thank God for those Christian friends that spur us on to keep on teaching, to keep on ministering, to keep on worshiping with the body of Christ. I believe for Paul, his encouragement came from Aquila and Priscilla, a couple of Jews who had left Rome because of a wave of persecution. So what did Paul have in common with Aquila and Priscilla? Well, at least three things here. First, they had a common background. They were Jews, and they all knew about the persecution of those who believed in Jesus as the Son of God. They shared those hardships. They knew all too well the prejudice of the authorities from where they came. They knew as Christians that the Jewish authorities didn't tolerate them, and the Roman authorities did not like them either. They shared a background that was not favorable to them, and I believe that helped them go and comfort each other and strengthen each other. Second, they had a common trait. Verse 3 reads, he was of the same trade. This couple had the same trade as Paul. They were all three tent makers. Sometimes when we have a difficult day, we really need someone who understands what we are going through. Someone who can say, yes, I've done that too. Or yes, I've experienced that too. Yes, that's happened to me too. And it's discouraging and it hurts but we're going to get back on that horse. We're going to try again. We're going to make it through this day. Third, Paul and Aquila and Priscilla had a common testimony. We know that in Acts chapter 18 and verse 18, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. That common testimony, that common faith, led them to common places. Can't you see Paul making that 50-mile trip from Athens to Corinth and once arriving thinking, now what am I going to do? What's the Lord want me to do? Maybe he walks another block feeling tired and thinking, you know, I need to find a job. I need to make some income. Then he turns the corner and looks up on the mountain and sees the temple to Aphrodite and maybe thinking, you know, this is going to be worse than I thought. And then perhaps he sees a little shop And on the top of the entrance, it might read, Aquila and Priscilla tent makers. Then it gets a little closer. Maybe he sees an emblem of a fish representing their Christian faith. And he knows he's not alone there. These are people he shares a common trade and a common faith. That's how to hang in there when you feel like walking out. Seek out godly friends. Look for those people that can encourage you and make you a better person. Proverbs 27 and verse 17 reads, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. Proverbs 17, 17 reads, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We read in Romans 16 and verses 3 and 4 about their friendship when Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me, not, on, not only I, but all the churches, the Gentiles, are grateful to them. The church even met in their home. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 19, The churches in Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Seek out godly friends. Seek out someone that loves 
Jesus. Seek out someone who's trying to raise young leaders for God and be their friend and let them be your friend. Seek out someone who makes attending with the, attending with the church at worship services a high priority. We can tell a lot about people by the friends, the kind of friends that they seek out, the kind of people that they run with. The first principle we need to follow to hang in there when we feel like walking out is to seek out strong Christian friends. The second biblical principle we need to follow to hang in there when we feel like walking out is to stick with the things of first importance. In Acts 18, beginning in verse 4, Luke writes, Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, having sought out a relationship with godly people, the next thing Paul did that helped him to hang in there when maybe he felt like walking out was to stick to preaching the things of first importance. That is his faith in Jesus as the Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 1, the apostle Paul reminds the Christians in Corinth of why they are Christians. He writes, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter. And then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Sometimes we need to be reminded of why We are followers of Christ, of why we are Christians, of things of first importance, of why we come to worship, of why we are willing to forgive others, of why we're willing to give to support ministry. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the evidence of why we became followers of Christ. Sometimes we need to be reminded of our responsibility to worship and to witness. We read in Acts 18 and verse 4 that he reasoned. Or Paul lectured in the synagogue every Sabbath. Now for that to happen, he had to be there. He had to be there. He might have been down. He might have been discouraged. But where was he on the Sabbath? He was at the synagogue, the place of worship for the Jews. It was the place people went to seek out God. It was the place people went to study the scriptures. Now too often when life starts to unravel, the first thing we do is drop out of Sunday school. And we drop out of worship. We drop out of fellowship. We drop out of Bible study. We drop out of praying. We just drop out. We ignore the things of first importance, that Christ died so that we could live. That's when we need to do the basics the most. The devil loves to see a young couple drop out of Sunday school 
and worship when they're having marital problems. That's the first step in dividing your home. The devil loves to see young Christians get their feelings hurt by another church member and for them to drop out of Sunday school and worship. If we're going to hang in there, when we feel like walking out, we need to stick to the basics. Don't abandon the basics. Don't forsake the basics of what it means to be his child and a member of his church. And don't miss this. Not only did he worship, he witnessed. Acts 18 and verse 5 reads, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. The RSV reads it this way. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus, that the Christ was Jesus. The RSV reads it this way. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. The NIV says that Paul devoted himself. The Greek word that Luke uses here literally means to compel, to be occupied with something, to be wrapped up with something. He was occupied with sharing Jesus. He was wrapped up and sharing Jesus. Do you know what? You want to know how to beat burnout, how to defeat discouragement, how to hang in there when you feel like you just want to walk out? Get back to the basics of what it means to be his child and a member of his church. Get back on your knees and pray and participate in worship and get back to telling others about Jesus and see how quickly your attitude changes. See how your excitement level starts to rise and see how things start to clear up. Your perspective changes. When was the last time you had a life-changing worship? I mean, the kind of worship that altered your attitude and rejuvenated your spirit. When was the last time you shared your faith in Jesus to a lost friend? Did you notice where Paul started a gospel work after he faced opposition from those in the synagogue? Verse 7 reads, And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Now he could have stormed out and said, I'm going to start a gospel outreach as far away from those sorry sinners as I can possibly go. They've seen the last of me. But don't miss this. He stayed close to those who needed to know Jesus. He could have gone to the other side of town. But he would have lost contact with those people there that needed to hear about Jesus. He made sure he had constant contact with the lost people there in hopes that one day they might be saved. We'll have no hope of reaching those without Christ unless we stay in contact with them. Don't isolate yourself. Don't turn and run away. So how do you hang in there when you feel like walking out? First, seek out godly friends. Second, stick to the basics. And the third biblical principle is to stand on God's promises. That's what Paul did. By doing so, he was rejuvenated and refreshed and ready to get right back into battle here. We read in verses 9 and 10. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. Notice the promise of his presence. I am with you. 
What a promise, especially when you're fatigued, especially when you feel like you failed. You've just got kicked out of the synagogue, and there's people that are coming from other towns to silence you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Hebrews 13.5 reads, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you go to sleep at night, God is with you. When you go to work tomorrow, God is going to be with you. When you go to class tomorrow, God is with you. What a promise. What a presence. So there's the promise of his presence. And here for Paul, the promise of his protection. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. The power of life and death are not in the hands of the world. They're in the hands of God. Just stand on God's promises, the promise of his presence. For Paul here, the promise of his protection. There's also the promise of his people. Acts 18 and verse 10 reads, For I have many people in this city. God sees what we cannot see. We see the outward, but God sees the inward. I imagine that after hearing that promise that Paul walked up and down the streets of Corinth and he could see someone walking and and maybe think, "I, I wonder if... If he's a Christian, I wonder if she's a Christian. I've got to get busy sharing God's word with these people. God told him this to encourage him, to encourage him to hang in there. Things aren't as bad as they seem. There's a reason to hanging in there, knowing that someone would be saved inspired him. And it encouraged him to keep on teaching and to keep on preaching, to keep on sharing, to keep on testifying, to keep on loving. Because through through his teaching and through our teaching, some can be saved. When you feel discouraged and frustrated and you feel like walking out, remember God's promises and do what Paul did. First, Seek out godly friends. Find them. Look for them. Seek out godly friends. Second, stick to the basics. Christ died for us. That gives us hope. Stick to the basics of worship and witnessing. And third, stand on God's promises. By doing these things, we can hang in there when we feel like we just want to walk out.